this world and this universe. Um, we thank you, Father, for the opportunity that you uh, have given us to be here to uh, study your word. We ask you to be with Brother Rick and, um, and each one of us as we scrutinize a bit more of your word. Let us uh, leave this place edified and, and let us always um, remember the, the goal of being more like your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. For the sake of our visitor, we have been doing an in-depth study of the Sermon on the Mount. And I, I'm sure hoping that all of the students are finding this, uh, you know, a rich study. And it's one of those things where it helps one while to slow down and really take it in and go deep with it. So that's what we've been doing. So tonight, we are at um, chapter 6 and uh, starting at verse 19. But before we start looking at verse by verse, I want to do a slight introduction and then we're going to take this verse by verse by verse and work our way through it. So after stating the perfect standard of righteousness uh, demanded by the law, Jesus has clearly shown that all men are sinners. At least I have felt that from this study because the standard that he's laid out, I realize I, I'm not there. Um, so, and that all subsequent sinners, they have all fallen short of the God-given standard. I think in a sense, though, Jesus has revealed that salvation by works of the law is, uh, is, is impossible. Now, that teaching is not going to come until much later, but you would think that maybe those that are hearing this Sermon on the Mount, those things kind of might click later on when that teaching does come, that, you know, by trying to do the works of the law, saves one uh, when it doesn't. Nonetheless, the Sermon on the Mount is a part of the revealed and inspired Word of God, and it is therefore profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. And I think it has really done a significant uh, aspect of that for us. And thus far, in chapter 6, Jesus has described what I like to see as the private life in the secret place. Uh, things like giving and praying and fasting. He said, you know, do those in private. Now Jesus is going to present, give concern with the public life in the world. Um, questions of money and possessions and food and drink and clothing and ambition. If we are Christians, everything we do, however secular it may be, and by secular I mean of this world, um, or in this present life, in comparison and distinguishing it different from spiritual stuff, everything that we do is secular, in a sense, is religious. People say, well, I'm not religious. Well, let me tell you, you are religious. Because you know who's watching your everything that you're doing, everything that you're thinking? God is. God is there. So in a sense, we are all in God's presence, and everyone should be doing in according, that's accordance to God's will. Look at verses 
Uh, chapter 6, verse 4 there. <clears throat> and then look at verse 6 and at verse 18. What do you see there? What's common between those verses? 4, 6, and 18. Secret. In secret. Huh? In secret. In secret. But even though it's in secret, God sees it. God sees it. God sees it all. Um, there's, there's really nothing done in secret. On the other hand, look at verse 32. Even though that's not where we're going tonight, verse 32 says that God knows that we need what? All things. Essential things to life, like uh, food and drink and clothing. So in both the secular and the religious spheres, the call for Christ's followers is to be different. Different from the popular culture of the time. Different from the religious hypocrites that Jesus has already shown in his teaching. And now different from the materialism that you can find in that irreligious world. Now, what is our key verse in our study? Verse 20. Verse 20 of chapter 1. Five. I'm sorry, I was going too far back. Chapter 5. For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now you got to think that with that statement, it had hit this audience right here. That was significant. Now, that has been our key verse, but I like to think that there's a second key verse. And the second key verse for me is in chapter 6, verse 8. When he says, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. That idea of do not be like them. What is it implying? You need to be different. You need to be different. And he has shown how that to do. So for these audience, before Jesus, it is the pull and the attraction, not just of the Pharisees and the scribes is pulling them, but there's another bigger aspect of the world that is making a pull on them. What is that aspect? If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Now, would you believe that the Gentiles are having a pull or attraction upon the Jewish people? Absolutely. Because their value system is being examined here and it is being renounced. Now, we don't have Gentiles today, but what's, what's the thing that we have to battle with? The world. The world. The world. Everybody believe that? Yep. It is an attraction, uh, and it wants us to go this way, but we need to see God's way and go that way. So thus far, Jesus has placed the timeless alternatives right before our eyes and before our ears to comprehend. And that is that there are two treasures. What are the two treasures? 
Earthly treasures. Earthly treasures and heavenly, heavenly, heavenly treasures. Two bodily conditions. What are the two conditions? Faithful or not faithful. Hmm? Faithful or not faithful. In, in, our, in our scripture, though. Darkness versus light. light. Okay? How about two masters? What are the two masters? God and mammon. God and mammon. And even though we're not going to get there today with our study on Sunday, there are actually two preoccupations too. Our bodies and God's <coughs> kingdom. And uh, we'll see that when we study that Sunday. So how do we make our choices? Worldly ambition has a strong attraction, does it not? Materialism casts a strong spell, and it's a hard spell to break. Would you agree? So how do we make our choice? Does Jesus help us to choose well? Does he point out for us the folly of the wrong way and the wisdom that comes by going the right way? Well, let's see if we can answer that those questions. Verse 19. <clears throat> I wasn't going to bring this up, but I, I got to bring it out. 1938, there was a movie that came out. It was an offshoot of a play that was a Pulitzer Prize winning comedy. And the title of the movie, and it starred, his name skips me. Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart. The name of the movie was, You Can't Take It With You. Now, I, this popped in my mind when I was doing this study, and I got to reading about the movie, 1938, Can't Take It With You, that it intrigued me so much that I went to see if I could find it on television. And I did. On Prime TV, I paid four bucks. Peggy and I watched it. Was it worth the four dollars, Peggy? It's Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> the whole time I kept saying, because I told Brian Goodwin when he was here that he looked like Jimmy. He reminded me of yeah. Jimmy Stewart. And all through the movie, I kept saying, it's like Brian. Trust me, if, if you take a look at the movie, there is an entertainment factor there. Would you not agree with that? Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's funny. It really is funny. But the message of the title is perhaps common sense. Uh, in that all the wealth one can amass, you're never going to be able to take it with you beyond the grave. Um, so basically, if you choose money versus serving God, um, you could become stuffy and miserable like one of the characters in the movie. And I'm not going to give it away, so I'm hoping you'll tune in and go see the movie you can't take it with you. You know, many people go through life living up to the expectation of others. In my time, I have known a surprising number of individuals <clears throat> who had their college major picked for them by their parents. Mm. Um, and it's kind of troubling that parents would force a kid to go this way when eventually their life didn't even go there. Um, and I'm talking about things like accounting or engineering, any kind of degree. Um, because their parents expected them to do that, that's what they did. So let's look at verse 19. Jesus directs our attention to the uh, comparative durability 
of two treasures. Now, you would think it would be easy to decide which one of those treasures is worth collecting. But is it easy? And the two treasures that are the treasures on earth versus the treasures in heaven. Now he indicates to us that there's a problem with the treasures on earth. What's the problem with them? Temporary. They're temporary. Not only are they temporary, they're corruptible and they're insecure. <clears throat> the treasures in heaven, though, are exact opposite of that. They are not incorruptible. They are secure and they're eternal. So I, I hope you can see that. With that idea, it still begs to say it would be easy to decide which one of those is worth collecting. But is it easy? Is it easy? No. It's not. It's truly not. But what Jesus is telling us is not putting a ban on possessions in themselves. Um, never has God's Word forbid anyone from owning property. Would you agree? Right. Yeah. Um, secondly, saving for a rainy day is something that is also not forbidden. And you can see that in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6, 1 Timothy 5, 8. <clears throat> also, thirdly, we are not to despise, but to enjoy the good things that God has given us uh, so richly. And we can see that in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, and chapter 6, verse 17. So, there's nothing wrong with having possessions. What Jesus is forbidding is the selfish accumulation of goods. I think one of the last classes you taught, uh, you said Christianity is not a call to self-deprivation. It's not total deprivation. You, we still need things. You still have to have possessions. Like I said, God has not forbidden you from having property. He's not forbidding us to have food and clothing. But if we selfishly accumulate those goods, now we are going somewhere where we shouldn't go. Extravagant and luxurious living, a, heart, a hard heartiness that does not see the needs of someone who has some needs, the foolish fantasy that a person's life consists only in the abundance of their possessions and to allow materialism to tether their hearts to the earth. Those are the things I think Jesus is saying. That's what you have to avoid. Once again, what is the Sermon on the Mount referring to? The heart. The heart. Man, if we didn't, if we're not getting that, we're, right, Sean, we're missing it. We have not done a good job. The boat has left the dock and you are still on the dock. The Sermon on the Mount refers to the heart. And here I think Jesus declares in this one verse that one's heart always follows their treasure, whether it's down on earth or up in heaven. I think keeping a heavenly perspective 
every day, all the time. It took me a long time to come to that realization, but it's a key. Would you not say that's a key, Sean? Uh, absolutely. To be thinking of that heavenly home, that prize that's before us. Something that I, for example, own the house. So there's nothing wrong with that, but if, I'm just saying if I make the focal point of make wanting a bigger house the focal point of my life, that's where it becomes problematic. Yep. Yep. Oh, I got to get a bigger house because Sam's got a bigger house. Mm -hmm. Oh, I got to bigger get a bigger house because I'm not the biggest house of this group. You know, that's the kind of thinking consumes you. that consumes you. And if you watch that movie that it's telling you about, you'll see that there's a character in there called Grandpa. He was in that world where he just spent all his time accumulating wealth. And finally, he just stood back and said, what am I doing? He wasn't happy. So he quit. <laughs> And eventually he'll round up with another guy who's a banker, and his whole focus is money, 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 money. But I won't tell you the ending. Go see the movie yourself. I was thinking like um, when it dominates our life, instead of letting God dominate your life. Yeah. Like like the gods of the Old Testament. I, I, I refer, you can kind of refer back to the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I think this is very similar to that. Absolutely. And, and the fact that we are letting it become our idol. And it dominates our way of thinking. And we are not letting this compass guide us through life. Yeah. yeah. Well said. Like, and, and just to kind of go along with that, other places we're taught that we're stewards. It's not ours. Right. Well, and it says, you know, everything belongs to God. Yes. We just take care of it for a while. Yeah. We take care of what God has given us. And if He blesses us with ten, we got ten. If He blesses us with two, we got two. Whatever He blesses us with, we take care of it until the next person gets it. Because mm -hmm. it, it's not going with us. Yeah. So if we, if we look us. at things as instead of it's mine, no, it's God's, and I have it for a while. Yeah. It might help in that vision that you're talking about when we get up and realize sure what are we doing yeah now look at verse 20 there he says but in contradiction or in comparison to what the previous verse said but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where these do not break on and steal let me ask you the question is that a command <laughs> it looks like that to me. Yeah, it looks <laughs> like that to me. <laughs> it sounds like a trap question to me. <laughs> it definitely looks like a command to me. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I think it, it shows that Jesus wants us to have great rewards mm -hmm. in heaven. He knows what is contained there. Uh, Eternity is a, is a lot longer than our life here on earth, is it not? I can't comprehend it, but I also can't comprehend a light year, you know? So there's a lot of things I can't comprehend, but I can believe it. I can believe it. Uh, I just wanted to kind of um, talk about one of the questions on the workbook. Um, that is, why is it hard 
to make treasures up in heaven. And uh, I think it has to do with, with the idea that we live in a physical world where we, you know, it appeals to our, our senses. Mm -hmm. So what we see, what we can touch, whatever is tangible. And, and we're inclined to, especially nowadays, to instant gratification, everything. We want a reward right away for what we do. That's why, even though it's temporary, because we get that instant reward, we like that. Whereas the spiritual things require to see past that and, and think of a reward which we have to be patient for and wait later, right? And, uh, and I think that's the hard part. Yeah. Like I said, does Jesus help us to do well? Does he point the folly of the wrong way for us and the wisdom of the right way? Answering that question, I think you sort of just answered it. <laughs> um, yes, uh, the rewards of this lifetime last only a lifetime. Um, eternal rewards all I know is I can say is they're far greater. Far greater. So the question is what value do we put to it? Because that might be the trigger that determines which way we go or what consumes us is what we, what we value. Um, and Jesus died on the cross to give us that avenue to go to heaven. Do we value that? I would hope we would. So. Well, it reminds me of the parable of the guy that finds the pearl. Yes. And, and goes and, and buys all the land up and sells everything else he's got to obtain it. Yep. That should be our attitude. That's, that's yep. And that, and that parable, again, is another way of, of teaching, I think, this very same principle that Jesus is teaching here in the Sermon of, of the Mount. And Jesus uses the illustration of moths and, and rust. Uh, now the word corrosion also applies to a problem those people were facing and that was devouring pests and, and uh, vermin that would probably, if you had too much food stored up in your house, good chances it's going to get destroyed by bugs or rats or you know anything else that would come and, and, and grab it. He didn't have the storage capability that we have uh, today. And, and thieves, it was probably pretty prevalent at that time to get your house or property broken into and have something stolen from you. But I think Jesus uses those illustrations to remind us about what can happen to our stuff here on earth. Because sometimes things that we buy just, they don't last. They just don't last. But in that culture, when Jesus was speaking to this audience, they didn't have bank accounts or stock certificates to store their wealth. Any savings were probably put into expensive clothes or grains or oils. And these were small commodity items that could be sold or bartered or bartered for, uh, used for bartering if, if, if other things were needed. It became kind of a source for trade. But they were vulnerable to be taken away by such things like bugs and vermin and 
thieves. So I think Jesus is simply reminding us that material things on earth, they can be lost at any time. They can be lost at any time. Nothing truly was safe in the ancient world. I'm glad I'm not living in that time. <laughs> um, but then again, nothing safe really in this modern world either. And I think we're seeing that when you look at how inflation is killing a lot of our, our money right now. Absolutely. I mean, we, we all, if we had $1,000 in the bank this last year, that's a lot less this year. Yep. When you look at how high everything is. So I think even in our time, we see that money and, and things like that, or when the housing market collapses and gas prices go up, it's the same principle. You can't put your trust in any of this stuff. It's insecure. You can't because losses occur through such things as inflation or devaluation or an economic slump. And look at what the people in Ukraine have suffered. They had beautiful cities. Had a great lifestyle. Now you look at what's being shown on, on TV and you just, you're tr I can't comprehend it. Literally happened almost overnight. Yeah. It's all, it's all in ruins. The whole it's all ruins. Mike? We're not quite there yet. I'm going to wait. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we could grasp, <laughs> if we could grasp this verse. What's so funny? He said, no, we're there. <laughs> <laughs> if we could grasp this verse, then I don't think we have to worry very much about what follows. Because I, I've got a little star. I've had it there for a long time in this Bible. It's, that's, that's kind of a key thought. Um, read this verse carefully. It does not say where your heart is, there is your treasure. It specifically says your heart will follow after where your treasure is. That's a big difference, isn't it? Your heart will follow after where your treasure is. In a deep form, I think this verse teaches us to be leery of feelings. Feelings. Feelings are fine. God designed us with feelings for lots of purposes. But often those feelings keep us alive sometimes and as a reminder of our needs and our dangers. I think what I'm simply saying is that behavior, behavior is more important than our feelings. And frankly, I think that's what maturity is all about. Maturity. Behavior is more important than our feelings. And in a nutshell, that's a, a lot of that is, is through the ideas that we've already seen here in the Sermon of the Mount. I mean, Jesus is saying our motivation is what drives our behavior. And if you're motivated by money, what's, what kind of behavior is going to follow that? But if you're motivated by God and His Word, His direction and course for life, what kind of behavior is going to follow that? Everybody follow that? Mm -hmm. I don't think that's more. Because 
if even if you're doing what's right, or even what you're doing wrong, the feelings are going to follow. So back to our beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. The development of the Christian character as it was taught to us in the Beatitudes, the increase of our faith, our hope, and the charity that we can provide to others, our growth and our knowledge of Christ, our pursuit to be more like Him, our endeavors to pray, for witness to and to introduce others to Christ, the use of our money for Christian causes, all of these are temporal activities with eternal consequences. That's the treasure. That Those kinds of things is the treasure. And I hope we see it. And I hope we go after those kinds of things. Anybody have any thoughts there? Mike did. Mike? <laughs> you almost got most of it. Okay. That's, I think, so one of the things is what keeps us from doing that. Well, you, you stated it in a kind of a roundabout way. We have a bank account. We have stocks. We have this. We have things that we can see. And treasures in heaven, we can't see. Then, so if we want to go around and brag that I did this and I did that, then we're doing something that James told us not to do. Yeah. And so we can't do that. So it's very hard for a Christian to go... Well, what, what am I doing? And even at the parable of when you've done all you can, you've only done what a servant's supposed to do anyway, is another one that beats down a Christian when you actually think about it and say, hmm, I can't earn my way to heaven. I can't do this. I can't do that. What am I, what am I doing? And I've known Christians that have that attitude that I don't think I can make it because I'm not really sure what it is. And that's a sad place for somebody to be. It is a sad place because for someone to be. Because in order to be, <laughs> and the only thing that I could tell them is you have to go to Hebrews. Yeah. You have to have faith that something is there greater than you. And even though you haven't seen it, because God said it's there, you just believe it. Yeah. And that's a hard concept when your faith is struggling. Yep. Yep. Again, it boils down to what we put the value on. But but what value? Yeah, but those things that I mentioned... If I teach a class, I did a great job. No, you've only done something that God gave you something to do. Is that a treasure in heaven? Yeah. Oh, yes, it is. Under my belt. Uh, no, no, it's not. No, no, no it's not. <laughs> so, you see, I, I think that is a serious challenge to people. It's a serious challenge for me. Well, yeah, <laughs> these people have it harder because the Pharisees got it all twisted around. I, I, I think you're right, these people. I think that's why they went... Yeah, they're not like this when Jesus was doing this kind of teaching. They were in like, but, man, we've never heard teaching like this. You, you consider the parable of the man who who's uh, stored up all his go his treasures in his barns, and I'm going to be okay for a while. Yeah, and God said, yeah. and Jesus said, okay, now I'll take it from you. Whose is it now? So you have those kind of examples, of, and I, I'm only saying this because I've had these discussions <laughs> when people come at you and they go, yeah. What are we doing? Well, you, you can't see it. You've got to have faith. And you, but I know one thing that, and Sean has hit it on a couple times. You hit it on it in one of your classes. You just keep being obedient. You just keep being obedient. And if you're being obedient, your heart's in the right place. Yeah, and the truth is that these things cannot be stolen. They will not rot away. They're not going to be eaten away. 
Rick, I just wanted to say this, this, this real quick, because I know you're going to be pressed for time. I think a good verse to put with this, and I think this ties back to everything we've been saying, is Luke 16, 14. Luke 16, 14, before Jesus told the story of the rich man Lazarus, and after he told the parable of the unjust steward, the Scripture says, now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing. So even with that, we see that this is still a shot at them in a sense because they were the ones who were storing up the earthly treasures and loved the money on the earth. They are, they're not this either. They're not 16 through 21. Yeah. 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 You're right. Part of the trouble is we let people or external forces set our values and our treasures. That's yeah. And that's natural. I mean, no matter what you like in life, or no matter what you know, you enjoy in life physically. Um, there's enjoyment. There's something tangible about that. But the real treasure that you're seeking should be established by God. It should be in your heart. It should motivate you to do everything. It should even motivate you to to work hard to make a good living, to build up a retirement or whatever it is. Those things aren't wrong. It's just we have to have the right motivation. We have to have the right values and the treasures. Yes. So uh, if you tie that to verse 33, which I don't know if you're going to talk about that more on Sunday, seek ye first. Yeah, that will become the same. I mean, if yeah. you tie that to verse 21 here, yeah. I mean, same it, idea. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's yeah. yeah. It's it puts the wrapping on the, yeah. on the package. I think of the book of Ecclesiastes, too. I mean, the preacher had everything under the sun that was given to him. My favorite Old Testament and book. And <laughs> throughout the whole book, he gets to the end and he says, Fear God and keep His commandments. Yeah. And this is the whole duty that's of man. Duty. That's 33, chapter 6, same thing. Yep. And you would think that with that existing in this time of Jesus being on the Sermon on the Mount, the people would have captured that idea. But obviously they missed the boat. And Jesus is having to reiterate it once again. Now, if we look at verses 20 through 22 and 23, we have to do it in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. The main theme is about the eternal perspective in keeping one's focus on God. Mm -hmm. Notice what Jesus says in, God's, in, in John 8, uh, 12. I don't know if I'm going to get there. I hope I finish up tonight. <laughs> 8, 12 says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life now let's reread verses 22 and 23 in perspective of Jesus being that light of the world if one is focused on God the proper behavior is going to follow that is the light if one's focus comes off God, the related behavior will also follow, and that is darkness. Jesus uses the illustration of the eyeball as a metaphor. Okay, the eye is really equivalent to what? <coughs> the heart. The heart. It's equivalent to the heart. To set the hearts, to fix the eye. On something, those are synonyms. Okay? But realize this almost everything the body does depends upon our ability to see. Yep. 
The eye illumines what the body does. It does, and the body does what it does through the hands, and it does what it does through the feet. But the eye is the driver of the body. So the principle truly holds good. A sighted person walks in the light, while a blind person walks in the darkness. In total blindness, the darkness is complete. If we see Jesus moment by moment, what kind of behavior will follow? The light. Hmm? The light. If we see Jesus, it will be the right, light. the right and proper behavior because the light is there. Well, here's a better understanding if you don't catch it yet. Just as the eye affects the whole body, so our ambition, where we fix our eyes, where we fix our heart, that affects our whole life. Does that make sense? That affects our whole life. Just as a seeing eye gives light to the body, so a noble and single-minded ambition to serve God and man adds meaning to life and it throws light <coughs> on everything we do. I have a, a niece that is nearly totally blind, so I can appreciate blindness. And just as blindness leads to darkness, so a dishonest and selfish ambition will plunge one into moral darkness. If we have spiritual vision, if our spiritual perspective is correctly adjusted, then our life will be filled with the proper purpose and with the proper drive. And if there's any one thing I hope we get out of the Sermon on the Mount is to see the essence of that, the importance of that. But if our vision becomes cloudy by such things like materialism and we lose our sense of values, then our life is one of darkness. And guess what? We can't see where we're going. I know that was a second bell, and I'm not done yet. We'll see if we can pick up, but I'll tell you what, the next lesson is even got